Today on the Word Preacher Podcast, it's good to be depressed. Also, how to let our light shine while also keeping our good works secret. And finally, the high law, including the heart of the old law. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. All right. Uh, Today, we are looking at Matthew 5 and Luke 6. Uh, This begins the Sermon on the Mount, Luke's account. Uh, He describes gathering in the plains, and it's sometimes called the Sermon on the Plains, and contains some of the same teachings. Uh, For purposes of our podcast, uh, we are going to ignore Luke 6. We will cover Matthew 5, and we'll talk about some of the other teachings next week in Matthew 6 and 7. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is some of the most important of Jesus' teachings, and uh, we'll focus on the Matthew account for this podcast. Um, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount describing a series of circumstances which seem to be really bad. Blessed are the poor in spirit, they that mourn, the meek, they that hunger and thirst. Uh, These are things that we would typically not associate with being fortunate. Oh, yay, I'm I'm mourning. I'm poor in spirit. Hooray! But Jesus glorifies these statuses, indicating that they are indeed blessed. Uh, The poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven. They that mourn will be comforted. The meek inheriting the earth. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. The merciful obtaining mercy, the pure in heart seeing God, peacemakers being the children of God, and even those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, inheriting the kingdom of heaven. Um, These beatitudes that he describes, uh, they represent this idea that regardless of your circumstances, Even if you're in a tough spot, you can still consider yourself blessed and fortunate. God doesn't have to solve all your problems right this minute in order for uh, things to work out. Uh, In fact, the very essence of the gospel is the, the development of faith that as we continue to make correct choices and improve ourselves, that... uh, in the end, we can be complete, that good triumphs over evil, and that things will work out for the best. Uh, This was certainly evident in the way that Jesus lived his own life. Uh, He sought uh, not his own glory. He allowed people to berate and belittle him, and he still tried to help many, many people, and uh, he never stopped doing his mission. He never uh, lost his uh, clarity, his perspective. Uh, Of course, there was no one like Jesus, but uh, the perspective is something that he hopes that his followers will also obtain. It's good to be optimistic 
that even if times seem tough, in the end, it will work out. All right, uh, as he continues, he uh, offers a verse declaring that ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Uh, of course, a little bit of salt goes a long way to adding flavor to everything else. And he sort of uh, adds to this analogy as he proclaims, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So the question is, if we are to look a little bit further, if we were to preview next week's reading in Matthew chapter 6, where he talks about all of these deeds that are good that we should do in secret, promising that our Father which seeth in secret should reward us openly. How do we compare that with the message here in Matthew 5, where he says, Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I think a key part of that is obviously the glory part. In Matthew 6, he says that the reasoning behind people doing these things are that they may be seen of men or have the glory of men. And the reasoning behind letting your light shine in Matthew 5 is to glorify your Father which is in heaven. I think that motivation is very important. If we're doing things to be seen, maybe we need to change our motivation. But that doesn't mean we should stop doing good things. Or if I'm in public, uh, now I'm not allowed to talk about God or do anything good. Uh, that would be pushing my religion on people. Of course, that's incorrect. We should be good. A true Christian can't say, well, now I'm somewhere else, so I can't live my religion. It has to be a part of you. It has to be a part of you everywhere you go. It goes right along, I think, with the next point that he makes, where he talks about that he has not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. He's not throwing away his religion here, or the religion that he has promoted uh, since the days of Adam. Um, all of the the specifics about ordinance worship and specific policies uh, those those are things that uh, can alter based on the needs of the people. Um, I mean, before Moses, there was no tabernacle or temple. There were still ordinances performed at altars uh, by, by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who offered sacrifices, and even before them. Um, this was even even goes back to the days of uh, Cain and Abel sacrifices were offered, and it had to be done appropriately according to that time. But as times change and people's needs change, there may be different things, and that's why God introduced tabernacle worship, and later with the construction of the temple, the temple was critical uh, in the days of Moses. And so when Jesus is coming, he's not throwing all of that out. It's still important. We still do that. Um, and that leads us to 
how his new law uh, relates to the old law. He describes several commandments and describing, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. And he describes the commandment. And then he adds a new higher standard. The first one, whosoever, you've heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Well, of course, we know that, you know, a, a, a successful, a righteous person is is not somebody who can say at the end of the day, well, I didn't murder anyone. I guess I'm still good. I, I mean, obviously, don't murder someone. But if we think that that's enough, we are mistaken. The high law that Jesus describes is not to be angry with our brother. And of course, um, the King James Version inserts this phrase, without a cause. Whoso is angry with his brother without a cause. Uh, if you look at a lot of the original Greek, uh, there's nothing that indicates that that phrase should be there. This was added by people who wanted to justify feeling angry. But of course, that's a slippery slope. I think almost anyone can think of a cause uh, for which they can be angry with someone. Um, and and so saying, oh, well, you know, I had cause to be angry. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, stop being angry. Now, this might seem a little, um, a little inaccurate because Jesus also, uh, in our, our last readings, made a whip of cords and angrily cleansed the temple. Um, so I think there's some, there is some nuance here. It doesn't mean never be upset with anything ever, uh, but it does mean uh, like the attitude that we have toward people needs to be more in line with the way that God sees them. Uh, we need to view others as children of Heavenly Father, even if they do tough things. Uh, uh, even if they make incorrect choices, um, they're still children of God, and they deserve love and respect. Uh, maybe not encouragement doing harmful practices, but love and respect. Um, immediately after that, he gives the advice, Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him. Um, and of course, this term, agree, can be used as a as a way to be kind or to be polite. Um, we do have an obligation to treat each other civilly. We're not to throw temper tantrums at one another. We have an obligation to be happy in the way that we treat one another. And uh, I mean, you can kind of see this if you're if you're. Uh, in the customer service industry at all, they talk about if you're on the phone, you should smile. You have an obligation to do that. People can tell if you have a happy attitude about you. Uh, or if, uh, if you're in the middle of a, a fight or something in the home and someone rings the doorbell, well, when the door answers, uh, the person is probably going to you know, fake a smile of some sort. Uh, so we are capable of acting happy, even if we are not happy. That one's a, a little tip I got from Dennis Prager, who, who had that example. 
um, which I think is great. We do have an obligation to be happy, to act happy, and to treat each other with kindness. Um, he goes on and talks about another commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, and then he describes if we are lusting after other people, we've already committed adultery in our heart. That's not good either. Um, and then he gives a couple of comparisons that I think are notable. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable unto thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And the same with the right hand. Cut it off and cast it from thee. Um, and I think that the idea here is, even if it's difficult, even if it feels like a certain sin or temptation is so much as a part of you, a part of your identity, get rid of it. Cut it off, pluck it out, try and distance yourself from that. It's better to live a harder life without this piece of you to quote-unquote feel complete than it is to, um, to indulge in destructive behaviors. Whether those behaviors are, include being angry with people, the guy that has a temper, uh, someone who is... Uh, really tempted by seeing other people and, and lust after them, or uh, tempted to steal things or to be dishonest. Any of those qualities that a person might have that would lead to temptation, they have an obligation to try and get rid of those from their lives. And it may even leave them feeling incomplete. But in the end, it's worth it. And it's better, as Jesus teaches. All right, the next section um, is tends to be a little bit controversial. It's about divorce. Um, he talks about he condemns those that put away their wives um, for a reason other than fornication. Um, I think this is important to to think about. What is he promoting here? Why is he saying that? Well, and it's, of course, because the, the marriage commitment is fundamental to God's plan. Uh, God loves the idea of marriage between a man and woman, that that's fundamental to his plan, to the purpose of life. And not, not love between a man and a woman, I might clarify, but marriage between a man and a woman. He's talking about a permanent commitment. And if we think about if everyone did this, if everyone could do this, all children would be wanted. They would be raised in a home where a mother and father loved one another and honored their vows and raised those children in love and righteousness. What, what a great thing that would be. All the issues in family courts and these expensive, messy divorces and, and things would be gone if people could do this. It highlights an important point. Romantic love is not the true goal here. Jesus is not promoting romance. 
necessarily. That doesn't mean don't be romantic at all, but th that's not the goal. It's about trust and commitment. You know, feelings of love could wax and wane based on all sorts of things, but trust and commitment endure. Uh, it's also important to say the goal is, is always more than to avoid committing adultery. If you do everything but commit adultery, just like the murder, uh, that's, that's not what God intended when he gave that commandment. He's trying to promote uh, a divine permanent commitment that will provide good places for his children, which are born into this world. Now, of course, I'm not saying that there are no cases when divorce is necessary. Uh, even Jesus, in his teaching, talked about a case where it, it might be problematic if, if someone has cheated. Uh, I don't even necessarily think that's like the end. Uh, obviously, don't do that. But what I am saying is that marriage should be built on understanding and commitment to begin with. These are questions that hopefully can be answered early in this process. And this process should have an, there should be an understanding that it should include forgiveness. I think my wife would be able to come up with a long list of dumb things that I have done that would justify her being angry with me. But she stands by me and by our children anyway, and stands as an example to me of how important I should hold our marriage and how vital that is to our family. Uh, I think that this sort of standard is the goal that Jesus had in mind when he was teaching people about this. Uh, people may be in situations where divorce is necessary, uh, but that should never be the goal. That should never be the goal. Don't go into it thinking, oh, if it gets bad, I'll just break it off. It should be much more sacred than that. The next commandment, swear not at all. Uh, of course, the old standard was that, you know, you just don't break your promises. If you make an oath, you need to keep your promise. And the new standard, uh, when Jesus says, let your communication be yay, yay, or nay, nay, he's not just saying, say nothing but yes or no. Obviously, that would be hypocritical if that were true. He's saying a whole bunch of stuff here in the Sermon on the Mount besides that. Uh, and that does not come of evil. What he's saying is, if you say it's yes, let it be true. And if you say no, let it not be true. It's making honesty a part of all communication. It's like not okay to tell lies just because you didn't make a promise. Always be honest. Be truthful as much as possible. Deal honestly with people. The way that you measure things, the way that you, uh, that you communicate with other people it should be based on the truth. Um, it has also been used, the same passage has been used by prophets to promote wholesome communication. Swear not at all, meaning be free of vulgarity and profanity. Don't let that be a part of your communication. That doesn't help anything. Let your communication be true and honest. Uh, 
The next passage, probably some of the most famous stuff in the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about resist not evil, go the extra mile. If a man sues thee at the law and takes away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. You've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. And that's the idea. The, the motivation behind this is that God is merciful to people who don't deserve it who have done stupid, stupid things, who have done things that are disrespectful to him personally, and he still loves and wants them back. And if we are supposed to be his children, shouldn't we be forgiving of people if they make a mistake, if they do something even personally offensive? Of course, the answer is yes. Jesus closes this chapter by uh, giving his final commandment, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And of course, a lot of people, especially in English, look at that and say, Oh, that's a high standard. So we can talk about the meaning of the word perfect there. It's also used in English uh, to mean complete, in something like when we say past perfect tense, something that has already been completed. I have eaten is uh, the past perfect tense of describing to eat, something that I was doing and now I am not because it was completed. So it is like it should give us the sense of uh, uh, not not just being not being flawless, but about becoming complete, filling all the cracks in our souls, repenting of all our sins. I, I don't want to discourage people from understanding it the other way too much either, because uh, we don't want to be in a position where we say, oh, well, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean actual flawlessness, so it's okay that I, you know, make all these mistakes. Because no, it's not. Jesus was giving this higher law because it's not okay to throw away the commandments or to pick and choose what you'll do. Um, we should, if we make a mistake, and I should probably say when we make a mistake, don't throw in the towel. Strive to improve and be better. Finally, uh, just in review, a person cannot keep the new law of Christ without keeping the heart of the old law of Moses. We can't throw out everything God did in the past. Even in tough circumstances and beatitudes and, and uh, at the end, the counsel that Jesus gives are we can find ways to show goodness and kindness, develop selflessness, and extend forgiveness. And that that is the light which is to shine before men, that they may see these good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Not pious demonstrations, which we'll talk about in our next week's uh, material in Matthew 6 and 7, but the light of forgiveness. 
I appreciate everyone's support of the Ward Preacher podcast. Of course, next week we have Matthew 6 and 7. Please continue to study on your own independently. And as always, fight on. Thank you.